Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. And this weekend, we're talking about engines. Toot toot! That's what an engine sounds like, right? It's something like that. <laughs> we're not talking are about we, car are we engines. On the island of Sodor or something? <laughs> toot toot! Yeah, you know, it's like a uh, Thomas the Tank Engine, maybe? So basically today we're going to be doing what games journalists do best. Yes. And are eminently qualified to do. (laughs) (laughs) Which is talk about what is a very useful sort of engine. Uh, No. no, um, (laughs) What's a a good game engine? Yeah. um, Let's start with, uh, we should probably start with. Where this uh, this kerfuffle came from? Yeah, why don't you why don't you take us through All that? Right. There was a tweet from a, a game dev. I won't I won't say their name. You can find it real quick. Just do a Twitter search for Unity. Uh, but this this developer says, "Okay, game journalism. Here's a thing you have fucked up for game devs, and you need to repair the damage. Stop talking about engines." And then there is a screen cap. From a uh, Steam forum thread that says, what engine is this running on? Curious. And somebody answers, the Unity engine. And then the response to that is Unity. It only takes that one word to remove a game from my wish list. What a pity. Now, that dramatic reading uh, was was a thing. And obviously this game developer is pretty pissed off that just the, just the thought of a game de- being developed in Unity, which is a very versatile and awesome engine. I, I will go on about this later, but... Uh, it's been made to use many different types of games, many different sort of levels of games, uh, and it has been, its good name has been tarnished, in this developer's opinion. It has been tarnished uh, because game journalists make fun of it and or play poorly made games well, or, you know, very beginner kind of games and then say, well, that's Unity. I think, uh, that's, it, I think that's it goes the thing. beyond yeah. that even a little bit yeah. is that to an extent, like, I think part of what he's reacting to is just the fact that a Steam rando feels entitled to have a strong opinion about a game engine, which probably they got secondhand from reading like games media sources, yes. um, and that those sources are probably also not qualified to really dig into the nuances of a game engine. So it's like kind of this this weird thing where it's become game engines have become a point of discussion. And a selling point or a non-selling point for games, uh, even though a lot of the people having that, uh, you know, having that discussion aren't remotely qualified to take part in it. Yes. And so I get the I get the resentment. This reminds me a bit of the um, uh, was a frustum culling. Yes. Uh, quite thing a bit. where yeah, there's a little bit of every time games press engages with technical aspects of game development, it turns into a game of telephone a little and, bit. And also a puppy dies. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And then what reaches uh, what, re- what reaches players, what reaches fans, is sort of this like half-understood, probably misrepresentation of the, uh, of, of the actual issues at hand. Um, and Unity, Unity has ended up getting uh, tarred, with that, tarred with that brush. Though I also suspect... And maybe we can, like, it sounds like you have some opinions about Unity. I feel like Unity probably was the sort of the the uh, the flashpoint for this conversation because Unity is kind of the most accessible engine for a few reasons and was widely adopted. 
by a lot of different developers and was pushed in some directions that maybe Unity wasn't originally meant to go. <laughs> and so it might just be that like Unity has gotten a bad rap because there's kind of confirmation bias. There's a lot of like shoestring productions being made on Unity. You start to associate Unity with not a real game. Yeah. I mean, first off, I don't think it's actually the most uh, accessible. There's things like Game Salad and Game Maker that are a bit more accessible because you don't need... You can play with Game Salad, you can play with Game Maker, you can kind of do things in them without knowing any programming whatsoever. Unity, you either need some some other kind of tool to abstract the programming for you, or you need to at least do certain things in JavaScript or C Sharp as sort of a minimum. Uh, so, so I think... I think the thing that it really is that is that it is probably the most. <sighs> I, I don't have the statistics to support this, but I would say as a gut feeling, as somebody who uses Unity a lot, talks about Unity a lot and uh, talks to people who use Unity a lot. I think it's a very broadly used engine. I think it's used by people who are just a single person making tiny things all the way up to kind of what you would call AAA indie, basically. Things like Firewatch and Hollow Knight and games like that, where, you know, there's a team of, of maybe 12 to 20 people, professionals, working on something and making something on, you know, the scale of a $1 to $10 million budget. I'm, I'm kind of... These are all, like, super relative <laughs> things, right? Yeah. But, but, yeah, I think it's used by such an incredibly wide variety of developers and types of developers... And people who are doing things for many different kinds of reasons versus an Unreal Engine. And to be fair, Unreal actually released sort of a, a free version recently as well. So there are now a lot of like student projects in Unreal and single developers making, you know, small experimental things or just tiny personal things or just, you know, tiny unfinished work, which is also fair to do in Unreal. But you're not seeing games on Itch.io in, in Frostbite. Right or <laughs> any of, or, or the Fox Engine or any of the other engines that we sort of hear about. We don't hear about that because those are you know proprietary engines. They are only used in AAA or super 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 development. So Unity gets sort of slapped with this. Oh, this is what people use because in two hours you can you can have something up and running in Unity. And so there's you know assets you know like shitty asset swaps of of. Five Nights at Freddy's flooding the Steam store with things that were made in Unity. And that's right. And that's like, and, and I think maybe that's, and I don't think that is something that I think in some, in some ways that was a really misinformed comment saying like that game journalists fucked this up for, for uh, game developers, because like, I think what you just talked about is a, is a driver of people developing certain associations yeah. with engines. And that's not, that's not, Games journalists, that's the Steam ecosystem. Like right. the problem that devout that that fan has, that that player has with Unity, I suspect, is they've probably gone to some sections of the Steam store that maybe they shouldn't have, uh, <laughs> and maybe bought some games that are basically just um, oh god, there's a term for them. Uh, it'll lose me right now, it's but like basically, like their asset, they're asset just like, swapped. Yeah, yeah, like somebody basically took. A, a simple game and just threw some not necessarily super well rendered different assets on it and called it a day and called it a game and charges five dollars for it or whatever yeah or more <laughs> depending on what happens i mean i've played some of those games i know jim sterling plays those kinds of games all the time on his channel 
and uh, and I and I think that's part of what happened here too. Is there's also there's a culture of of that happening of the sort of asset swap games, and there's also a culture of people who play them and make fun of them, like YouTubers who play them and make fun of them, basically. So there's like yeah. all this kind of ill will floating around, uh, you know, around that type of game. And yeah, sure, that type of game is often made in Unity because uh, the person who's going to make that does not have access to Frostbite. They might have access to Unreal now that that's free, and they might be making stuff like that in Unreal, maybe. Uh, but yeah, it's... It is really frustrating because there I have seen this. I have seen this at least from from YouTubers. Like we talked about Dunkey the other day on the podcast and I really specifically remember his ukulele review which I really like other than this. He does say like, "Oh, you know, one of the first problems was when I heard this was being developed in Unity. That's what I play my piece of shit roll a ball game in or whatever." He something like that. I'm paraphrasing and that didn't really sound like Dunkey, so uh, but he really does basically say that, like, oh, Unity is for shitty, crappy games. Like, that's not true <laughs> or good. But, you know, he has millions of people listening to him and he said it. So I don't think he's the only one who has said that for sure. Well, and that's and that I think is now, now I'm really wishing we, we had, um, you know, a few of our game dev friends uh, on this on this show right now, because like the the impression I've gotten from talking to a lot of developers and and we know a fair bit at this point is that yeah there are some in terms of like developers also have their own preferences for engines and those are based on a whole host of very subjective uh factors then there are also and i think this is where maybe game journalists end up getting involved in these discussions a little bit there are places where the use of a game engine actually proves to be fairly important for how a game for how a development uh, goes yeah and i think you know maybe a poster child for this is uh ea's ea's ongoing efforts to make it so that every single ea game is powered by uh dice's frostbite yes. engine. yeah which is kind of a breathtaking effort uh, in some ways, like I kind of, I kind of admire the like late nineteenth, early twentieth century like company town model that EA yeah. is really trying to make work. This idea that like, no man, we're going to be vertically integrated and everyone's going to use the same engine for every single game that they possibly can, whether or not it's a hundred percent suited for it. Uh, I don't, I don't know if they've finally let the need for speed series off that hook. But I do know that like a, like a story I heard was that one of the reasons that need for speed, the run uh, ages and ages ago, which is this weird need for speed game about like racing from coast to coast uh, in sort of this, um, you know, death race type situation. <laughs> one of the reasons that is a hyper linear need for speed game is because basically that's all frostbite could handle like they couldn't make a proper need for speed game because they were too busy sort of suffering through their attempts to take an unfamiliar shooter engine and turn it into a arcade racing uh game yeah that sort of spanned this these these huge long distance tracks 
which I think is is pretty interesting. But also, this has come up with a number of EA games, right? Like, uh, I think Jason Schreier at Kotaku, when he was talking about what went wrong with Mass Effect Andromeda, yes, uh, there was another an issue there is that a lot of the um, institutional knowledge at Bioware centered on, I think it's the Unreal Engine. And when it moved to a version of Frostbite for Andromeda, that did not go well. And there was a lot of beating their head against that wall because like institutional knowledge matters for stuff like this. Like working in a familiar engine is way, way easier than like working in someone else's unfamiliar engine. Uh, so I think it's a conversation that I don't think it's necessarily that uh, games journalists shouldn't be having it. It's that if we're having it, it's because people are literally like talking to game, literally talking to us and saying like, oh, well, here's why this was this way. Yeah. And that, that matters, I think. It does. I, I absolutely agree. I, I also like, I've definitely gotten a little upset when I've heard that sentiment, if I've heard it from journalists or from YouTubers or whatever, influencers, uh, because I fucking love Unity. I, like, I've been playing with Unity, and I say playing because it's not like I'm, a, I'm not a professional game developer by any, any stretch of the imagination. I make little things for fun. I teach game design. I teach with Unity. I have a really good time teaching with Unity. And it, it really is a pretty awesome tool. And it, one of the things that's great about it, uh, especially now... I mean, I've been playing with it since 2009, I think, was when I sort of started. Yeah, I was still in grad school when I started kind of messing around in it and teaching myself a little bit of C-sharp and blah, blah, blah. It's a really, really versatile tool, and that's kind of what I've always loved about it. If you start an Unreal project, Unreal, you can do wondrous things in Unreal. Don't get me wrong, but it is it was sort of like suited best for for you know, first-person shooters. Like, if you're not, like, a, a pro-ass pro who's going to yeah. go in and make your own tool sets and really mess with things, and, and you're right, the, the earlier Mass Effect games were uh, built in Unreal. So you can you can do all kinds of stuff, especially if you're modifying the engine. But, like, day one, if you're, if you're sort of a, a hobbyist developer, you start Unity, and it's just like, uh, you want to do a 2D project or a 3D project? Great. 2D project, here are your planes, here's your camera. 3D project, great, here's the camera. That's it. It doesn't start you in any kind of particular direction. But Unreal starts you in more of a first-person shooter atmosphere. It's geared towards that. So there's a lot of things about, you know, the medium is the message and that sort of thing. And the tools shape the the work and all of that. And, and I think a lot of stuff in Unity that does get asset swapped or, or whatever or, or small work, it's because people are still really learning their craft. Now, the asset swap stuff is something entirely different, but... People yeah. are still learning uh, with this. And I think it's a great and accessible tool. It's not 100% accessible. That's that's the thing I hear all the time from people like, or, or from people who don't make any kinds of games. Like, oh, it's so accessible. It's so accessible. Like, no, nah, you, you need to know a little bit. There are truly accessible tools. There are game engines where you don't need to know any programming whatsoever to make things function. It's abstracted in some way. It's, you know, move blocks to kind of create behavior instead of actually just writing code the way you do with Unity, even right out of the box. Personal edition, you still need to know a little bit of scripting, right? This is not high-level programming, but you need to know a little bit of scripting to kind of get your hands dirty with it. So I think there are a lot of misconceptions about it, and and I get where this person uh, who, who wrote the tweet was upset about it. 
because uh, there is also like a lot of cavalier attitude. Like I, I do think sometimes folks in in journalism think I think we think we know more than we know sometimes about the development. I process. have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> I uh, I never speak out of turn. I'm always deeply informed about uh, everything. Um, I, you know, after thinking about something for a few minutes, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty able to give you a comprehensive history of Roberta <laughs> Williams' career. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. <laughs> good, uh, good pullback from uh, last episode. You should totally listen to the last episode of Out of Weekend. It was a real barn burner. Should, uh... <laughs> but like, yeah, and I say this as somebody who like teaches and and has some background uh, in at least working with the tools. Uh, I don't fucking know <laughs> a lot. Like all I know of game development is like Unity, Twine, and I've I've played with some of the like really accessible sort of tools to see if they are like a, a you know appropriate teaching tools for the level that my students are at. Basically, like Unity is the thing I have used the most and know the most about. I've barely touched Unreal. I don't know the first fucking thing about Frostbite or the Fox engine or any of the like fancy, you know, sort of special engines. I don't know. I have never worked on a triple A game. Like everything kind of comes, it trickles down. Like you were saying earlier, that game of telephone. So it's, I get it. I super get this developer's frustration and maybe, maybe all of us aren't to blame. Maybe you don't, you know, maybe not all of us should be painted with the broadest brush, but, but sometimes, you know, I guess I've said two. I've said both. I've argued both sides of this at this point. Haven't well, I mean, I? that's yeah. But like, <laughs> to be fair, this is, like most issues do have a good case be made for either side. Like there, there are a few things going on here. Like a lot of times, game journalists are pretending a technical knowledge they do not possess. You know, P.S. Though a lot of times people in technical roles also pretend the technical knowledge <laughs> they don't possess. Like, yeah. you know, you will you will find a lot of people at uh, very low-level uh, development jobs or uh, in the middle of their education, uh, their technical education uh, yeah. for things like programming, who will have very strong opinions about game engines, programming languages, development tools... And it is entirely possible that while those people can like sort of talk the talk, they may not know what the hell they're talking yeah. about. And it is my belief that maybe a lot of those people tend to take part in internet discussions <laughs> and forums yeah. and share those opinions and then argue them. Uh, but I think something else that um, there, there's just one one quick aside here though. Something I've always sort of wondered about. And maybe some informed listeners can write in and talk about this a little bit. Something I've always found a little bit weird, and I, I notice it less and less these days, but yeah. there have been periods where certain engines have an aesthetic quality that exists from game to game, right? So, like, mm -hmm. early Unreal engines. Oh, yeah. Or like, Unreal, Unreal Engine 3 in that, in that generation had that reputation for really oily textures. Sure. That, like... The way it applied like sheen and lighting the surfaces, for some reason, led everything to look kind of oily and greasy from game to game. Yeah. And this almost happened regardless of who was art directing. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a choice <laughs> yeah. that like developers and artists could control for. It's just like 
for some reason, that tool set imparted that quality to a lot of different games, whether you wanted it or not. Yeah. Um, I think Frostbite has a weird aesthetic quality, too, that I really can't put my finger on. Like, I think Frostbite games are achingly gorgeous when they're done right. Mm Mm-hmm. And yet there's something about them that I can't quite like. There's sort of a hyper-realism There's to a shininess that, that's a little bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's it like when you go to like a an electronic store and all the TVs have like all their settings like cranked up to the max. Yeah. That's kind of how Frostbite looks. Yeah. And it just looks that way from game to game. And I just, it's something I've always wondered about, right? Is like supposedly and i and I, I know developers who are able to control for these things and, and can make you know make an unreal game that doesn't like scream unreal although that <laughs> might also because unreal's developed a lot uh in recent years but there are people who can overcome this but the sort of intrinsic qualities to in, to engines i've always found kind of curious and interesting yeah i i totally agree and it's and it's one of those things where like i th- i think it's basically if you if you kind of use the defaults of something and just maybe tweak it a little it'll still it'll carry like i could definitely there's so many games that i've played that have the default like three you know first person controller in unity like they control exactly the same they feel exactly the same it's exactly the same sort of input and lag and and sort of the angle that you're at and everything and it's like yeah that's (laughs) that's literally like you can copy and paste it from like a sample project in in unity and like people will use that and like people have used it to perfectly good effect If, if that's not if having like a perfect, you know, responsive control scheme is not necessary, if you're if you're doing like a really narrative based game or you're just sort of walking through environments, you don't need, you know, like a, you know, you don't need to hand code every tiny portion of the way it controls, right? In in that way, the generic control scheme is fine. But like, I I can tell, like I when I I can feel it, you know, that sort of thing. It's like, yeah, no, I know, I know exactly how you cranked this in the settings. I could tell you right now, you know, it's one of those things that I'm sure any developer who has had time in an engine could probably tell you like, oh yeah, I know. Ex- you know they they had the spectral shading on blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm just making up words at this point, but like, yeah, it's, I feel like those are the kind of things where it's, it's, it's like Photoshop or, or any tool you might use. Like you'll know where the shortcuts are. You'll know what a, a barely tweaked shortcut that is useful kind of is and, and that'll apply to any tool set. Uh, I, I will just say there was a pretty awesome uh, Zoe Quinn quote uh, running around uh, on Twitter about about this whole thing and about how absurd, not that the person who tweeted this thing, fuck you, get, you know, not fuck you, but yeah. get your shit together, basically, game journalist, but uh, that the person who was like, ugh, Unity, you know, the person on that Steam forum said, and it, it was kind of a really good... Uh, uh, image and it was essentially like do you do you ask people what kind of pen you wrote your novel in yeah. you know that kind of thing which, which I thought was like really perfect to show like a person who is skilled at doing what it is they want to do with a game say a person who's a very skilled storyteller who's putting together a narrative game or a person who's a very skilled developer will make their masterpiece whatever you give them right they'll make something awesome and yes the tools do provide some of the context for for the medium like i said certain things are maybe a little better at rendering certain things but like yeah man like it's like saying oh why'd you why'd you write that that blog post in english when there's so many shitty forum posts you know it's like well 
yeah, of course, there's a lot of shit out there. <laughs> That's this is how human life works. But there's also uh, skilled people will do wonderful things, no matter what you put in front of them. So, yeah. One thing I'll, I'll just touch on is that um, it does seem like I remember a few years ago when Unity was really starting to make a really starting to catch on, oh, yeah. and Unreal were starting to like where Epic were starting to realize that they were in danger of losing a fair bit of their business because like, so part of it is people tend to stick with the engine that they started with, right? Again, that institutional knowledge, that familiarity. And so unreal had this real edge heading into uh, not really this generation, but like as more and more indies were sort of taking off, they had an edge with your professional developers because so many had worked with uh, unreal and yeah. therefore, those people sort of naturally licensed that engine because it was just easier for them to work with and they knew how to get the most out of it. And what Epic were realizing a few years ago was that they were going to lose a generation of independent developers yeah. who just couldn't afford that. You couldn't afford the fees to use Unreal and also didn't weren't invested in Unreal. They didn't have the skill set to really get the most out of it. So Unity was just the cheaper alternative and they went with that. And so a few years ago, um, you had this weird moment where I think a lot of the engine uh, conversation came from in the games press where Crytek, Epic, and Unity were all pushing hard to make their case for why they were a better, more developer-friendly engine. And so they were making their case directly to Games Press. And really, they should have been making their case, and I think primarily they were making their case, to trade outlets, uh, to, to your you know, game developer uh, magazine and that, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. But dudes like me were swept up in that. Like, I was being asked to take meetings at GDC about the new generation of Unreal. Like... Like they had like big press events to show off Unreal, uh, where you'd see literally everybody uh, there first thing in the morning to learn about this new engine, and they'd give you this whole dog and pony show, <laughs> where like they're showing you level editors, and I remember vividly like I'm not sure Unreal is I'm not sure Epic is pushing this as much with Unreal now, but I remember vividly a few years ago they wanted to create some of those accessibility tool sets where yeah. you could like sort of make a game in the engine using like really, I think what they boiled down to is really extensive macros sure. uh, that, that sort of took care of stuff. But basically it was going to be a, like it was this, sort of this weird, like, Oh, what sort of game are you making? It was like clippy for game development. <laughs> and you sort of like cl- click on an object and like just using a very simple, like, uh, you know, menu of options, you give an object certain behaviors uh, in the game and certain like interaction mechanics with other objects. And it was very crude and obviously like probably wouldn't be very good, but it was the landscape. Like Crytek were out there trying to make their case of like, we're the most ridiculously powerful, you know, pornographically intense uh, game engine in the world. Um, you had Unity basically, you know, presenting itself as we're the we're, we're the we're the cheap, uh, you know, we're we're the, we're the indie's friend, right? Yes. Like the man doesn't want to let you have a good engine, but <laughs> but we're bringing it to the masses. And then you had Epic kind of belatedly being like, 
oh no, we're totally cool with indies. We love indies. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I'm just looking now and CryEngine is free now too. You could totally grab a quick license, no royalties, no obligations. It's now available to everyone. This is kind of amazing. Uh, so, yeah. That's pretty amazing. And it's, it's, God, I, I, I do remember that. I do remember those days a few years ago where it was the battle of the engines and, and Unity made those moves. They invested intelligently and they sure made those moves uh, in, a, in a good way. And, and yeah, that's probably why there's a glut of, of Unity games. Like if, if Unreal had made the same decisions when Unity did to be the friend of the indies and to you know have a free version or a home or personal uh, edition or, or whatever it is, uh, that they called it, we would have this exact same complaint about Unreal. It would be, oh, an Unreal game. I have no interest in that. All these asset swap abominations that Jim Sterling <laughs> plays. Like, it would have been the same thing. It's just, this is this happens to be the thing where a lot of people are making their first game in or, you know, working on early, early things in. And it also happens to be something where people are making really impressive work in. And it just happens to be a really ubiquitous tool so speaking of really impressive unity work oh yeah i'm playing a little game called ultimate general civil war this week oh hey tell me about this ultimate general civil war uh so i think we've talked about it a little bit on the pod ages ago when it hit early access i do remember Um, and i was pretty interested in this but yes do go on yeah, and uh, I'm pretty sure it's a Unity game. I know the first game was. And the reason that's notable is just it doesn't look like a Unity game. There you go. Um, <laughs> so, it like, it, you know, because it's not, it's, it's not a 3D game in some ways. It's a, it's, it's a war game. Sure. Uh, it's, you know, it's got a, uh, it almost looks like tabletop miniatures. Uh, oh. in some ways but it just doesn't it doesn't look it doesn't look like the sort of thing you associate with unity uh very often and it works really really well and it's it's really really beautiful uh one of the best looking war games i've ever played uh so it finally came out uh full release um and it's a nifty little offering that i think might not be a bad way to get someone like you into a little bit of light war gaming yeah um because it is basically like its goal is to eliminate every obstacle that war games typically throw between the player and the game. Nice. Uh, so nice. it's literally just like click a unit, drag it to where you want it to go, uh, and it'll just march there. So you're saying there's no programming. I can just take an object and it <laughs> have it interact. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's the it's the WYSIWYG there you of, go. <laughs> uh, of of war games, but it's uh, you know I think what that ex- what's really driving that accessibility is that it's not presuming a ton of familiarity with a lot of major war game concepts that other games sort of take for granted, right? Like if you play uh, a Gary Grigsby game, for instance, are sort of renowned for being these really involved war game sims, and some of the language they just take for granted um you know is stuff like uh you know like (laughs) supply mechanics where you need to know how forward depots are stocked and what the throughput of a supply line is and 
it's just expected that you'll have already internalized all that <laughs> understanding and how a military campaign unfolds, which you can reason out. Like, obviously, armies run on, uh, you know, gasoline and food. Uh, obviously, they need material to be replaced as it's used up and consumed in combat. Obviously, you know all this stuff. But what a lot of war games do is they assume not only do you understand those basics, but you also understand how armies of the time put all that shit together and understood it. And that is where a lot of people start to lose the thread. Sure. Uh, because in addition in addition to that, there's also a lot of like, like they're not things you can immediately and intuitively mechanically represent. Sure. And so there's a few different approaches that everyone, that different people take. And you really aren't going to get it unless you're either willing to read a really involved uh, manual, which I've been playing war games for years. There's still a lot of war games that I literally can't play until I've like sat with a manual for an hour or two. Wow. Um, or you've played enough games operating in similar space that you now understand the conventions and you can sort of play around with them without having to study up quite so much. I think that's where Paradox games have ended up. Like, Paradox games are complicated. They've gotten simpler because their interface has gotten better, but also because there's just more, like, people played a lot of these fucking games by now. Yeah. Ultimate General doesn't assume any of that shit. Okay, okay. Ultimate General's just like, you fucking, you see those guys over there, you line your guys up, <laughs> and you go after them. That's it. Like, you know, trees, rocks, they slow your forces down to move through, but they're good for cover. And so you won't take as much damage, which means your guys won't freak out as much because they're safer. And those are the trade-offs. And that's it. And wow. it's just about using that terrain and figuring out how to, like, maneuver effectively, but also, like, keep your troops, like, safe and well-supplied and uh, not terrified. And that's it. And that... And that game has, like, the entire Civil War in it. Like, it's got oh. a shit ton of battles. Um, a lot. A lot of the major battles. Plus kind of a shitty campaign that I would not recommend. But it's worth it for the single battles, honestly. It's it's a cool game. God. All right. That sounds awesome. I would like to... I would like to try it. I've got... I've got all this stuff I gotta play for coverage. But, uh... One of these days, Rob, I think we should just... We should just do a thing at Waypoint. We're like, oh yeah, sit down and stream. Yeah, we're gonna stream some war games, baby, and I'm gonna figure it out. And it's gonna be great. And uh, yeah, I think we should do that. I have been playing a few things we can't talk about. So yeah, I think I'm, on the, I'm in that boat. You're too. in that boat too. Exactly. We're in this boat where we can't talk about some of the things we've been playing. So we also had a bit of a, a lighter mailbag this week. Uh, there's not really any new letters, which is okay, because you know what? We're both watching things, I think, that we really like, or reading things we really like. We're both engaged in some sort of media that we really like. Rob, let's do a double. We're doing a double header. Doubling up. Double the, header. The, yeah. In those All weekend right. projects. Weekend projects. So we All each right. get two. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go first, because I want to hear about what you have been into. All right. Um... Let's let's just dive in with yeah. uh, with with an easy, fun one that oh. I think a lot of people will will be able to engage with. John Wick Two. Yeah, I said that for my birthday this year. <laughs> uh, there sure is a lot of murder oh. in that movie. Oh yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I, I think it's interesting. Uh, John Wick 2, in some ways, like, it falls into some of the pitfalls of a, of a sequel, uh, especially it's something I'm not sure anybody expected would, would click with people as much as John Wick 1 actually did. Yeah. Um, but basically what what I would say is John Wick 2 is like a lot of the same stuff, but more so. Like, if did you like the really ridiculously choreographed <laughs> and long-running firefights, the balletic violence, all this stuff? John Wick 2 has heard you and wants to give you more of that. A lot more. Maybe too much. Um <laughs> And I, that's 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 kind of a reaction. Is like it's really exquisitely put together, and a lot of these set piece battles are really visually striking in terms of their choreography. Um, they they are just like beautiful violence. At the same time, I think it has come at the cost of some of the movie's heart, which uh, yeah. is maybe a weird thing to say. Like, and I don't know, like. To me, it felt like John Wick 1, for all its violence and the fact that Keanu Reeves is not like a particularly emotive performer in a lot of ways, <laughs> it still felt like that movie had a humanity to it. Yes. That I felt was lacking in John Wick 2. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I feel like John Wick 2 was like sort of the, the smarter movie, the more savvy movie. It kind of knew itself really? a little better. Well, I think it, it knew what it was a little better. But that first one had that slightly scruffy, like, I don't think anybody expected it to be good, necessarily, who went into it. If you, if you, if you watched it before, you know, there's a little bit of a hype train for it. I feel like people were like, all right, Keanu Reeves is going to be in an action movie again, you know, after the Matrix trilogy uh, wasn't maybe as awesome as, as the first movie. Uh, and there was almost a scrappiness to it. Like, oh, yeah, he's he's doing it again. Oh, my God. And there was like a just a, a yeah, man, really kind of Bill and Ted excitement and adventure about that. Like, at least that's the attitude I had <laughs> yeah. for it. Like, yeah, man, he's doing it again. And it's exciting. And also, good, good Lord, the, the puppy. Oh, God. I mean, the, in the first movie, like, I I. I have different feelings about pet death now than I did a few years ago because I'd never had a pet before in my life. I used to it. own a beagle. Oh, oh, oh. I, I don't think I would be able to like leave the theater. I would be so traumatized that I would just be like, no, man, I, I need, you know, I need a, an ambulance right now to bring me out <laughs> after that. Uh, and then the second movie was just, it felt like it knew its territory. But maybe it stayed in its lane a little too much. Maybe that's sort of what, what's going on there. Because I, I understand and I, I agree with you. I think it did weirdly play it safe in certain ways. Uh, I don't know. It, was that sort of your take that it played it maybe a little safe or felt a little too... Yeah, it, it, felt, it felt reductive, sure, I guess. Sure. Like where it's it, it's coming at it from this angle of... Look, this is what people were into with John Wick. We're gonna get. We're gonna focus on that stuff and maybe some of the rough edges, the weird personality of the film, uh, sort of got lost. I think part of it is part of it as well is that I think it had a defined villain in that first movie. Like to a degree, the first movie unfolds almost like a tragedy. Yeah. Because uh, even though 
even though there is no forgiveness for what happens at the start, like after the start of that movie, it's a very judicious use of pet death. Oh. Like once that happens, you're pretty much down with whatever is going to befall the people in the rest of that movie, right? Like short of like having your villains be like, uh, like, you know, SS Gestapo uh, type <laughs> Nazis, uh, <laughs> having a bunch of people like stomp a, a, a beagle puppy to death oh. is like that. No, you're, you're done. But because of that decision, the movie keeps cutting to the villains. Like, and the, the real villain is this like mafia princeling uh, who's just a douchebag <laughs> and needs to be killed. Yeah. But then there's his father who feels like obligated to try to protect this little shit. Yeah. Uh, even though he knows it's basically going to condemn the entire family. And it reminds me a bit of it, it's a it's a familiar trope, right? Like, I mean, Road to Perdition relies on the same thing. The idiot yeah. son makes an enemy of the loyal killer and reaps a bloody harvest. But the movie unfolds with that cross cut of you watch John Wick like fucking murdering people and then you cut to the Russians basically trying to escape the walls of the faith that's closing in on them. Yeah. The second movie, I just didn't give a shit about these people. Like, I like the villains in that movie. uh, Again, you got a mafia prince Lang who's trying to steal his business from his much cooler sister. Um, and then he's got a bodyguard that also seems to be completely la- like there's just no defining characteristic. It's kind of a sniveling brat and his enigmatic bodyguard that never does anything and proves to not be much of a match for John Wick. <laughs> yeah. Um, she gets her ass kicked, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not much of a fight. It's not. It's really not. <laughs> <laughs> it's- I love the style, but yeah, no. No John Wick. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, like, I think that's that was kind of my objection. Is well, no, there's there's one other thing too. The first movie, it's kind of nifty. There's this entire like uh, code of underworld assassins and hitmen, yeah, and it's like this world. Kind of, yeah, yeah, it's kind of this like secret New York, right? Of like, and that's kind of the dream of New York, right? Is that there's always a sub community in New York or, or a major city that like. You know, if you could just sort of peel back the veil, you'd sort of see what's what's there. The, John Wick is playing on that as well. Yeah. But I think the key part of it is that it doesn't spell it all out. Like, you understand that there's a there's rules and order to this world, but, like, most of it's implied. There's a lot of room for the imagination. The second movie is all like, okay, so here's how all this works. Yeah. Here's here's the exact order. It's very... um. It's very Silmarillion. Yeah. In its, yeah. And its worldview. Yeah. You tell me too much about the world, I'll be a little bit less excited about the world. Yeah. As, as it was sort of mysterious and awesome in the first one. And then, yeah, I, I think also it was kind of lacking in, like, as you were saying earlier, like really well-drawn characters that were really sort of fascinating. Like the... And I don't remember her name. She's one of the woman assassins in the first movie. But I wanted to know what her deal was. We never really learned too, too much about her. We just know, oh, there's a mysterious past. There's something going on. And it, I didn't feel drawn to any of the characters the way I did uh, in sort of this first one. Weirdly, this movie, like the second movie, I really, really enjoyed it. I really liked it as an action movie. But 
I felt similarly to the way I felt about Kingsman, which is also which is getting a sequel soon. But the, John yeah. Wick Two reminded me of Kingsman in in that it was like this awesome and flashy and really exciting and and even kind of funny at times uh, action movie. It's so stylish and so great, but did feel maybe a little flimsy in certain ways, or or that it was lacking in weight in certain ways. It's like this weightless, beautiful thing, but it's not necessarily rooted in in a very deep place well and i think related to that i think kingsman is kind of an evil movie yeah um (laughs) and i think john wick 2 is actually amoral in a way that john wick 1 was not sure uh john wick 1 is like you know he's a simple man with certain skills (laughs) and he's got to have his vengeance and you know and then after that he wants to be left in peace Second movie's basically like, all right, so you need to come fully back into this bullshit secret society <laughs> stuff, and you need to kill a whole bunch of people who don't have it coming and frankly deserve better. But yeah. look, this guy has a marker, and that totally means a whole lot in this world. So you gotta go, you gotta go do it, and then a whole bunch of people are gonna die. And by the end of it, like, who's really the good guy in this? I don't fucking know. Uh, and I'm not sure I care anymore. Like, because, look, there wasn't a puppy at stake in exactly. this Exactly. Um, the puppy was a real moral center of this universe. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> sorry, man. Dude did not kill your dog. So I think maybe we should just, like, you know, let it go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Kingsman is also, like, super flashy and impressive. And then if you peel it back, it's really, I think, a deeply reactionary and misanthropic movie sure uh in some ways it's all about like fear of the young uh and that they're not going to get the right values from uh this older generation uh but oh wait it turns out we can indoctrinate them with our bullshit uh and pass along all our assumptions and prejudices um the movie's gonna be framed is he's gonna make us question ours but no he's he's gonna fully adopt our system and values uh, and then, by the way, our villain is a climate activist. Right. And one of his uh, world leaders, who's definitely part of his evil plot, is Barack Obama. Yeah. And. I forgot about that. Yeah, no, like, yeah. dude, Kingsman's a lot of fun. I liked Kingsman yeah. as I was watching it. Like, literally 20 minutes later, I'm like, I think that was fucked up. Yeah, dude, you're totally right. God damn. I'm sitting here like, oh, fuck. That's why I'm like, that's why like Kingsman 2, they're like trying to make that happen. And I'm like, boy, first one was a stretch. And like, I was willing to give it a pass. But like Kingsman 2, like with the fucking Americans and the Cowboys. I, boy, I don't know. Yeah, man. I don't know. I'm seriously sitting here like, fuck. I, yeah. Holy shit. It'll be a hell of a weekend project. It'll oh, be a lot it's to take gonna in. be it's gonna be a weekend, yeah, subscription. Um, <laughs> well, all right. Um, I'm gonna give my first one, yeah. and it's and it's it's a it's sort of a uh, you know a conclusion to something I already brought up. So I finished Glow or the first season of Glow, gorgeous ladies of wrestling. The Netflix series that is not an actual documentary, but it's sort of based on the story of the real 80s wrestling league, all ladies 
gorgeous ladies of wrestling. And I want to give you a little bit of backstory. I've been in this place for a while now. I've, I've really been in this place for a while where I really like combat sports, I like training, real wrestling, Greco-Roman and freestyle wrestling, uh, and other submission grappling. I, I really like watching combat sports. I love watching jiu-jitsu. I like watching wrestling. I like watching UFC, even though, yeah, MMA. Let's just say MMA, because UFC has its own fucking set of problems. Invicta Fighting Club is actually my favorite, which is all ladies, which also tells you something. But anyway... And everybody on my Twitter timeline, not everybody, but so many people on my Twitter timeline have always been like, ah, you, gotta, you gotta try different types of pro wrestling. Like, you gotta try it, you gotta try it, you gotta try it. And a lot of the, like, most awesome and smartest and raddest people in my life have kept being like, oh, it's so fascinating. It's just this fascinating thing, this fascinating thing. I definitely had a moment that I will share. Uh, I've been a little bit of a snob, but I'm trying to open my okay. heart. I'm really trying to open my heart to pro wrestling. And I... Uh, shamefully admit, and this is really bad because it involves Ronda Rousey, but I shamefully admit the first time I ever met Stephen Totillo, editor-in-chief of Kotaku, uh, he was talking about pro wrestling, and uh, this was this was during Ronda Rousey's, like, heyday. Like, yeah. she could not be defeated. Could not be defeated. Uh, she was the superstar of the UFC. And she was on the front page of, like, the sports section of the paper. And we were talking about pro wrestling. And I literally picked up this paper from this man's house that I was at for the first time. And I was like, I'd rather watch her. And pointed. It was bad. It was real bad. You know, I admit my sins. Okay? I confess my sins. Uh, and just basically, I don't want to be a snobby, shitty person who just dismisses something. Uh, because it's not the real thing. Or it's not good enough. Or, or whatever. Because I... I I understand, I've always understood that's not the point. At least I don't think it's the point. The fact that they're fighting is not the point. The fact, the, the, the whole thing is supposed to be, it's basically a soap opera. There's a whole storyline. People are fighting in these like comic book kind of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, personas. And the fighting is not supposed to be real. Everybody knows it's fake. It's fine that it's fake because it's a stunt show, right? At least that's my understanding. Yeah. Um, and so I've been really, really working on it recently and i had an epiphany last weekend when i watched game of thrones uh which was game of thrones is pro wrestling at least for prestige Whoa. tv are you bridging your endorse are yeah. you are you bridging, bridging your weekend projects i'm weaving a basket Holy right now shit. yeah watch this and it really is true. Game of Thrones is this fucking bullshit soap opera about superstars, half of whom are actually superhuman. All right, maybe not half. Whatever. There's superhuman shit going on that, like, fight each other and also call each other out for seasons at a time. Like, that's it's the same shit, especially the sort of opening scene of Game of Thrones. Yeah. And I, lo I love it. Like, I think it's kind of hot garbage, but I love it. It's one of those. I have a loving relationship with this show. Now, the, the real garbage part of Game of Thrones is that it's like, has a lot of sexual violence that's not in any way given proper weight or anything like that. I'm also a big fan of the book, so, you know, I have a, an affinity for this universe, but still, I don't excuse certain things. I just, I enjoy this show for what it is. So that epiphany led me to uh, wanting to genuinely appreciate pro wrestling more. And then I finished Glow. Glow is beautiful and wonderful and awesome. And I have my second epiphany, which is get ready for it. I think I would like pro wrestling if it was all women all the time. There it is.
That's all I need. I just Shocking need it to revelation. be women who are fake fighting each other, whatever, scripted fight. I don't want to make it sound like, oh, it, it's fake and it sucks. Like, that shit clearly takes a lot of skill to to pull off in the way that they do it. And there's a lot of risk of getting hurt. This is not just like, oh, I'm, I'm just doing a stupid thing. It's like, no, that takes determination and guts. And that's something that the show itself actually really shows in a really cool and interesting way. There's one of my favorite sports montages ever in it where it's uh, two women who are trying to to get the move right, basically get a, a particular move right. And it's beautiful because there's this whole backstory with them. One of them slept with the other one's husband. They were best friends and now they're really not. And, and, and they have these two characters. They end up being rivals on the, you know, the show within the show, the wrestling rivals. And it's mm -hmm. awesome and wonderful. And it works on so many levels because it's like, oh, the soap opera within the soap opera. It's, it's beautiful. It's great. Oh, God, I, I just I felt like I got it and I felt like it was awesome and it was a beautiful thing. And I really liked a lot of the performances in it. And I and I just God, there are characters in it that they did not get enough screen time, but I loved them. And every every tiny little bit that they got, basically, every tiny little bit that they added to the beautiful fabric that was glow was was awesome to me. So I loved it and now need to watch professional women's wrestling <laughs> well i mean it's a definitely a thing you can watch yeah um, apparently There's and it's gotten it's it's gotten better uh I, I i've heard um uh there sure was like part of the show that was fascinating and good is how much it kind of takes uh popular media to task for how disgustingly it stereotypes people there's a a young woman who I think is of Southeast Asian descent who is cast as Beirut, the Lebanese terrorist, basically. And, like, there's a moment where she's she goes on the stage and she's doing this. And she's a medical student. She's, like, the most brilliant person there. And she's doing this for money and, like, because she enjoys acting. Uh, and, like, somebody throws a beer can at her because they actually hate her. And not, like, her character, but, like, there's so much hatred there. And it's like, yeah, yeah when you feed into this fucking bullshit... It, it's not great. Like, I'm not saying it's the fault of the wrestling promoters that people are racist, but, like, don't feed into bullshit because it's not a great thing. Anyway, I, I'm getting heated again. Well, it's, a, it's, I mean, it's a weird thing with, um, it is a weird thing with wrestling as well is that to a degree they do feed into that a lot of times and intentionally so. Yeah. Uh, you know, you'll have characters that are definitely meant to connect with different aspects, uh, different like elements of uh, American society, sure. uh, but but also more than that though, like there's a lot of playing to certain stereotypes to like at least from what I've seen, like you know they call it like cheap heat. Uh, yeah. Usually it's pretty harmless. Uh, it's going in so, like you know it's going to New York and like talking shit about the Yankees or something and so like the Yankees fans in the audience will boo and the Mets fans in the audience will cheer uh but sometimes it can get a little bit more um can get a little bit more loaded uh in yeah. terms of the way that characters uh interact with each other um but yeah no i mean it's i i did not get wrestling for a long time and to a degree at maybe i still don't uh, sure. because okay so there's this weird thing like in the 90s I feel like there were a lot more people who believed it was real 
Yes. Like, when I was a kid, the thing that turned me off wrestling was that like the kids I knew knew who were really into it were really fucking weird about it, <laughs> and really <laughs> believed that like this shit was real. Like, uh-huh. not that The Undertaker was, like, le- legitimately, like, some sort of undead fucking, like, monster. Right, right. Who was, like, sending people to hell. But they <laughs> did believe that, like, these fights were, like, real. And that, yeah. And it obviously wasn't. Like, have you ever seen, like, a wrestling kick out? Like, it's like, that wouldn't, that that doesn't, that wouldn't release any kind of hold. Like, I, that's, yeah. that's ridiculous. But, like, in the 90s, it felt like there were a lot of people who were like, this is 100% like a legitimate athletic competition and battle. Yeah. And fortunately, that seems to be gone. Like, yeah. Everyone is now in on the joke. Um, some more than others. Sure. But I think I've gotten into it a lot more because I do, I'm addicted now to the meta layer of, of wrestling. Um. This week I discovered uh, via the good offices of Austin Walker oh. uh, something called the CM Punk Pipe Bomb. Oh my god. I I saw this in our Discord. I saw this. Yeah. Uh, so it's just this amazing document. Like, because it's this great, like, I think the where wrestling is at its best is when you've got two characters who don't like each other, but also maybe the actors don't like each other either. And there's a layer of like in character disdain, but also out of character, like critique passing between like, and it's happening in the same scene at the same time. Uh, And so like, you know, a lot of Kevin Owens, John Cena interactions uh, have that element. The CM Punk pipe bomb that, that Austin showed me was just like, utterly addicting uh because it's basically cm punk uh is a ufc fighter as well as a wrestler and i think he's into some other martial arts disciplines as well yeah uh he's just you know a first-rate athlete a first-rate performer and he sort of had reached a he had reached the conclusion that he was no longer going to be part of wwe he did not like it anymore and he was leaving and everyone knows this. And so he's writing himself out of the script. Like, he's 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 leaving. He's, he, the story arc now is he is leaving pro wrestling, which he is in real life, but also that he's doing it in character. Yeah. And he shows up, and he beats the shit out of John Cena, uh, because this is just what you do when you're taking on uh, the WWE to an extent. And, like, you just beat the shit out of, uh, you know, they're, they're sort of one of their big stars. And then he goes off and starts delivering the speech. And uh, it's incredible because basically he starts going into the history, uh, the recent history of WWE and the people who brought him into the business and why he thinks Vince McMahon is an idiot and corrupt and why he thinks John Cena is a shitty, like, not necessarily a shitty performer, but, like, enjoys a prominence and a profile that he does not deserve, but has done it because he sucks up to the people who run the show. Yeah. And it's all kind of in character, but at the same time, like, there's a nastiness to it, and, like, wow. it doesn't, 
you're just watching it and you're not sure to what extent is this planned and to what extent is he legitimately airing like dirty laundry and years of like pent up grievance. And that is my shit. Yeah. That is my shit. Yeah. Oh, it's, oh yeah. Like, don't like, no, like enjoy, don't enjoy the competition. Enjoy the stunts. Like, like that's what I, that's what I've gotten into is a good match. It's just incredible. Like, it's a high wire act where you're like, uh, are they really going to do this? Because somebody's going to get hurt doing that. And then they land it and it's awesome. Uh, and it's cool to see like the performances expressed through like mock combat, uh, which is which is really kind of cool. But the thing I live for. Yeah. And this is this is where I would like, you know, this is where I would suggest getting into wrestling. It's not a combat sport. It's this weird fourth wall, like adjacent meta bullshit <laughs> competition where it's like, oh, yeah, no, this is totally it. This is totally it. Imagine like the politics of like understudies and a chorus line or something yeah. like that, but like in a combat sport. Like that's that's kind of what it is, right? Where like all these rivalries exist, except they're all expressed through the performance. <sighs> okay, that's really good. That's really cool. I like that. I like that a lot. The, as much of it as I can get away from the the fighting, I think the better. I just yeah, because it's just not. It, it's, yeah, it's, it just it, the only thing is, and I don't like again. The stunts are cool. It's impressive, and I think it takes a massive amount of work to to make it look uh, the way it looks. It's just that there's no blood, and I can't. For ten seconds, wrap uh, my head around people getting punched and they're not being blood. There's blood, dude. There's yeah. blood when you do it on my level. And like, I'm not, you know, like I was basically sparring a lot of people at different like college clubs when I was at the height of like when I was boxing a lot. So you want blood? I, I just mean it's that's part of it. when people get punched in the face. There's blood. <laughs> Sometimes it gushes. There's a lot of blood. Like, and it just, it just took me out of it. It's one of those things. It was like, as if it were in a game, like an animation that takes you out of it. Like, like one of those Mass Effect, yeah. sorry to, you know, dunk on Mass Effect Andromeda, but like a oh, serious, you know, serious moment. We're doing a serious thing. I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm in it. And then they like crab walk away. That's kind of what it was doing for me. But... I'm sure there's somebody who uses fake blood in pro wrestling. Well, I right? think actually, yeah, I think that tends to look worse though. Oh, like, maybe it does. I don't actually. think it's a big thing to. I don't think it's actually popular because like you can get away with it in a movie shoot because you can edit around it and you make it look good and you right. can transition to the makeup instead of like the fake blood that squirts out and so like it looks more convincing. I'm not sure you can do that real well. Uh, if people know in a live like, show, yeah, yeah, if people know of wrestling productions that like. Do make use of it extensively. Uh, let us know, but you probably I have think... to be like darkly shot. <laughs> like it would yeah, have to then... be like half in the dark to actually work. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I, I mean, like if you want that level of verisimilitude, I'm not sure it's ever gonna be that for you. Because, like, again, like for me, the thing I always get hung up on is the kickouts. Like sure. for me, it's like, could you at least try to make it look like you're trying to escape someone's grip? Like literally, you just like. Uh, you just like boop to the mat with your leg, 
<laughs> and then the other guy rolled onto his back and like made a pain gesture. Yeah. And yeah, there's a weird like. If you've done any wrestling at all, you know uh, the mechanics of it and you know how much force is required to do but anything. Whatsoever. It's just there are weird there are weird conventions of of, re- of pro yeah. wrestling that I don't fully understand. But like there appears to be just an agreed upon rule that yeah. in the world of pro wrestling we play by Torin war stomp rules. <laughs> and if you can just make like a loud enough thwack adjacent to another person, they take some form of damage. I got, I got you. Yeah. Uh, but I, understand. I love the costumes. I, I think the costumes are awesome. Like, uh, it depends on the costume. Like I think, I mean the concept <laughs> of, of wearing like ridiculously over the top costumes is, Oh yeah, is for fun. sure. Like it's just camp, you know, yeah, it's like too, hipsters with the handlebar mustaches and oh, shit like those are great it's good shit um I'm not sure i'm feeling roman reigns vest uh but the rap on roman reigns is he can't sell shit i mean i don't know any of the i know the one person that i know personally and that's literally it i know there's a guy named john cena i also know there's a guy named brock lesnar who's an, an mma like heavyweight actual person used to be well. used to be i think he um he fought again recently actually like within the last year that like prevented him from doing that i think he got some kind of weird deal because he he definitely fought in the last year and it wasn't far off of cm punk's uh actual fight either uh he got some deal or something because i know he he fought recently to kind of prove that he could do it again that was the whole thing and yeah he kicked ass he kicked the dude's ass it was amazing um so it's it's fascinating. And there is also, the, especially in Japanese pro wrestling, oh, there yeah, yeah, is yeah, yeah, like yeah. some crossover between MMA fighters. And like, da- we're, we're there's gonna some do this, blurred lines there, which is fascinating to me. It's we really are gonna, interesting. We are going to get you there. Uh, right. Because like, so like literally I was, pos- I was talking about the, the CM Punk pipe bomb on Twitter and I was like, this is my shit. And then I started watching some other matches and... Got into some Ring of Honor stuff, uh, which is a different uh, wrestling league. That uh, got, here's the other thing: like you try to get into wrestling, and you're like, I don't like the McMahon family. They're really exploitative of workers, yeah. and uh, it's kind of a shitty business when you boil it right down. Where can I go to find that good wrestling? And the answer is nowhere. <laughs> um, uh, apparently, Ring of Honor is owned by Sinclair, uh, which is a super right-wing uh, media org. What about this um, Luchador stuff that I keep hearing about? Lucha oh, Libre? Lucha Underground? Lucha Underground, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is also like a semi-documentary, but not really. There's a whole yeah, thing with it. It had a I lot heard. of people recommending it. Yeah. Uh, heard is a pretty great way to get into wrestling. But yeah, the big one that everyone was like, you should just get into is uh, New Japan. Okay. Uh, so... That's, I think, where I'm going next. Uh, there's some good shit. There is some crossover with WWE. Um, but, yeah. No, like, no. But forget forget the fake blood. Forget the, like, ridiculous mechanics. Like, if you watch um, El Generico versus Kevin Steen, they're both in WWE now, but uh, Kevin Steen has become Kevin Owens and has become another one of my favorites because he's this... He's become a star, and he doesn't seem like he ever should have been a star. Like, sure. <laughs> he warms the cockles of my freelancer heart oh, in some ways. Because, yeah. like, he's the dude who just, like, grounded out for, like, years on lower circuits. 
and carries that sort of blue collar chip on his shoulder that he actually sort of comes by honestly, where like he suffered for his art. Yeah. And now he's achieved stardom, but he definitely like looks at a lot of like the career WWE guys in character and out of character as like, well, I put in work that you didn't. Yeah. Um, and it's this cool thing. So anyway, there's this match he had with this character El Generico in Ring of Honor, which is a ladder match. Okay. What does that mean exactly? I never understood it. Like, because okay. WWE has these terrible events called like tables, ladders, and chairs, which is like they're just I've bad. It's bad wrestling. Some of, like I def Phil Kohler definitely once upon a time a couple of years ago showed me a WWE match. And I was a little confused. But anyway, yes. Dude. Yeah, so, the, yeah, I mean, so WWE does similar stuff, but, like, the Ring of Honor thing, there's this match where <laughs> the fucking championship belt is suspended high above the ring. Okay. Like, and we are talking, like, high. We're talking, like, 15 feet above the ring or something like that. Like, you got to climb up and get it. And around the ring, there's a bunch of ladders and a bunch of tables and it's partly, like, engineering challenge of you having to, like, rig up a scaffold for you to go, like, grab the <laughs> ring while being wrestled by a dude. And, like, it starts out like, hey, this is cool, you know, wacky, wild. And then, like, they start, like, fighting on ladders and, like, ripping each other down from, like, high places. And eventually, you're like, it's not real. But the danger is sure as shit real. Yeah. Like, after a certain point, you're watching, like, two really big, meaty dudes, <laughs> like, vault at each other off of a ladder eight feet off the ground. Wow. Yeah. It's good shit. Wow. Like, get into that. All right. I'm, like I said, I'm opening my heart. I, you know, and if it's not for me, it's not for me. But I'm going to give it a real shot. I'm going to give it a real chance. I'm going to open this heart right up. To, uh, I, look, I just don't just don't even like start following like current wrestling because I think the other thing is that week to week the show isn't all that good. Sure. Like get in on those highlights. Like get in. Like learn some of these backstories because that's where the real good shit is. Like I'd heard about CM Punk. I saw this pipe bomb and I was like, holy fuck! There's like an amazing story here. And now it's like I'm going through the back issues. Yeah, that's pretty rad. There is actually also a good documentary about him specifically training to do his first UFC fight. And oh, I, no shit. It made me respect the hell out of that guy. What's the documentary? Uh, I mean, it's on Fight Pass. I don't know if it's actually available outside. Fight Pass is the thing that you do when you're a combat sports dork and you like oh, to watch man. every fight and you get... Danielle, <laughs> how excited are you? Yeah? For McGregor Mayweather. Oh, my. Well, first of all... I have trouble with both of them. <laughs> no, it actually, I was actually like, being facetious. Yeah, this no, I know. I was like, well, <laughs> I actually want them both to punch each other in the face a lot, which is good because that's going to happen, but also to fade into obscurity. I'll, but you know, this is going to be a boxing match. Punch right? each other into obscurity. It's going to be a not exciting boxing match because neither of them, sorry. Conor McGregor is a good MMA fighter. And but he's Floyd, not a boxer. Floyd Mayweather is a good boxer. No, he's not a boxer. Not even a little bit. Just um, so fucking like, murdered, right? it's, God, I just hate them both so much that like it's mm, 
Mm. It's a little hard. It's a little hard. I'm having difficulty with it. Can't they just punch each other and then nobody ever Into hears? Nobody ever hears from either of them again. They're just <laughs> like they're gone. Doomsday and yeah. Superman, just like yeah. He punches both of them. There it is. That's your fucking pro wrestling ending. <laughs> Superman just punches both of them and they go to the moon and you never hear from him again. That's it. That's it. That's my ideal ending to that fucking fight. Ah, uh, I don't know. I don't I don't know if it's going to be worth half or a quarter of what you have to pay to watch it. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I get most excited these days about um you know, there's a lot of fighters I really like. There's a lot of fighters I get really excited about. I have been, you know, getting really excited about the the more grappling oriented fighters recently. Um, and of course, I'm I'm always watching the the women's fights and the women's divisions and Invicta, which is God. They keep bleeding talent into sort of the, the UFC. Like Invicta fights are on Fight Pass, so that's how you watch them. So it's already sort of brought into UFC, the UFC world. But they seriously lose like so much of their top tier talent to the UFC that I'm always just like, ladies, I, uh, I know you probably make more money with this, but ugh. yeah, I just love Invicta for being like a really inclusive and awesome fight promotion, which you never fucking get. Like the, the people who run it seem actually rad and good and give a shit about their fighters and promote them in, in really healthy ways. And a lot of those ladies are people with full-time jobs. There's like firefighters and, EMTs, yes, of course, I'm going to get excited for that and, and, and folks like that fighting for them. So I get excited about it. Anyway, watch Invicta. It's wonderful and great. They put on a great show. And I also am a weird person who cares more about the flyweight and bantamweight and featherweight men than the heavyweight men. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's... It's not completely weird, but... In, in the wider world, people are always like, oh, the small guys? The small guys are a thousand times more exciting to watch than the big the big bruisers. Just for me. I don't know. I, I'm more interested in the technique. I'm more interested in in watching, like, ballet of violence rather than, like, all right, two tanks are just going after yeah. each other, you know? Like, it's just not as technically interesting to watch, in my opinion. That's not to say that there are no talented heavyweights. Of course there are, but ugh, just stylistically, I'm... I'm far more interested in the smaller guys so i've probably talked too much about fighting uh, oh we've look <laughs> i think we've done our endorsements i think we did uh I, I think we've got like five people like imagine how disappointed everyone is that this turned into a fucking games and wrestling chat uh, podcast like yes congratulations mission failure for idle weekend <laughs> now you know how Friggin' dorky we really are, and not the kind of dork you wanted us to be. <laughs> you know all that. those p podcasts you've come to abhor? Well. <laughs> wow. What if the wrestling fans don't know anything about wrestling? You want to know what's really funny? Right now, Rob, I want you to know, right this second, this very minute, Rob, I just got an email from NeoGAF saying my account has been validated at NeoGAF, and I feel like it was connected to this. This event. Oh man, I couldn't even create a NeoGAF account. Not ages good. Because they were like, you don't have an email from. We don't take Gmail. Fuck you. Yeah, I had to. And I was like, well, I don't have another email. Yeah, dude. It's like, hey, some of us. I don't know. I use my Gmail for most stuff, but yeah. It's a weird, like. It's 
weird, man. It's a weird thing. It's a weird anyway, thing. point is, yeah, we're doing great. Now we're bitching about NeoGAF. <laughs> well done. We well did done it. weekend. We did it. Thank you to the three people still listening uh, <laughs> to us. Love you. Please write us questions. Please write, please write us right to our mailbag about UFC and Invicta and pro wrestling and uh, all the things that we like. Hell yeah. Oh, man. All right. Well, on that note, I think it's time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. This episode. We actually are this time. It's yeah. going to be a real ass weekend. Yeah, this is refreshing. It's not Monday night at 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After grappling. Yeah. Um, so this episode of Idle Weekend, in fact, was produced by yours truly and hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about Idle Weekend at idleweekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence <laughs> at questions at idleweekend.net to keep up with the latest from us. Follow us on Twitter at Idle Weekend. We really appreciate your time. We really appreciate your attention, and we super appreciate it if you <laughs> appearances <t> <laughs> to the contrary. <laughs> appearances to the contrary, and we would really appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate us on iTunes and tell your friends. Tell definitely tell your friends who are into MMA, into wrestling, into jujitsu, into pro wrestling, into Game of Thrones, <laughs> all of these things, into John Wick. You know, all your friends who are into these things. You should tell them about us because we are apparently the podcast for them. We really do appreciate it when you spread the word. It helps us out a lot. So for Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo wishing you the finest of idle weekends. Mm -hmm.